this is Yes and Marketing, the podcast for people who believe that great ideas can come from anywhere. I'm your host, Steve Pakras. Join me for conversations with eclectic marketers and creative thinkers. Yes and Marketing is brought to you by Verblio, the friendliest content creation platform in the business. This week, I'm talking with George and Emily Raptus. Together, George and Emily are the founders of Brief, a marketplace connecting brands with over 5,000 boutique agencies. I was eager to talk to them about the insights they gather from their unique vantage point between in-house marketers and agencies, such as what projects are in-house marketers most often sending to agencies versus managing internally, what are the key trends in marketing projects, and what makes for a successful agency in-house marketer relationship. I was introduced to George and Emily by my friend Sunit Bhatt, a former guest of the show. I spoke with George and Emily on December 15th, 2021. I hope you enjoy the conversation. George and Emily, welcome to Yes and Marketing. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited. Your first couple. Uh, my first couple. What inspires you guys both inside and outside of marketing? Inside marketing, I mean, it's just the brands that I constantly follow or read about that are pushing the boundaries and doing new things on new channels or on their digital platforms, whatever it may be. And then outside of marketing, I would say it's just our users and like people in general, like and being curious about what they're looking for um, in a brand or what they're looking for in a product and taking that intel and trying to bring it to what we're building at Brief. Yeah, I think for me, it's, I love inside marketing where it didn't get to be really excited is when people actually finish something. Like it's, there's so many great ideas in so many different ways to market now that if, if you can help someone actually execute on that and bring it to a conclusion and, and see the results from that, that's what inspires or excites me outside of marketing honestly like i like to go skiing so <laughs> if i'm being really honest so but um we get to work with a lot of cool brands and both inside and outside that's pretty exciting cool emily what inspires you outside of work oh man yeah i've been converted to a, a skier i used to be a swimmer so pretty big in the sports sector and just like i said talking to different people like i love to just kind of go into an instagram hole and watch interviews and see what people are talking about Bumps, groomers, or trees? Oh, groomers. I'm not that good yet. <laughs> George? I, I love trees, but I, I, I'm as good at our price skiing as I am on mountain skiing. So, That's very impressive. You know, shots, champagne, or beers, I guess, is the question there, right? <laughs> and which is it? Uh, it depends on the day. <laughs> For George, the thing you find most strange about Americans coming from Australia? I think culturally, like, Americans are really told that they can do anything, right? Like I think Australia, we give you a really structured upbringing and like you know, maybe that stifles creativity a bit. Whereas Americans, I find that like the most creative people on the planet. And I love that a product of your upbringing in this country is you can literally do and be whatever you want. And I think culturally that just totally changes the dynamic about people and how they interact on a day-to-day basis. And I mean, it can definitely create polarizing worldviews, right? But it also gives you the, the the highest chance of actually expressing and being who you are as an individual. Um, I, I love that. One more Australia question. The thing you most miss most about Australia while living in the United States? Well, look, I think in America, like you can absolutely make it on your own but i think australia has a really good cultural sense of you know social support network as well and so you know i definitely miss the these social structures that sometimes are there to catch you if you if you need that additional assistance i also really miss the beach to be honest we've got great beaches so 
Emily, as a former competitive swimmer, your proudest competitive swimming accomplishment and the one that uh, has formed part of your life to this day? Oh, man. I think it was trying out for the U.S. Olympic swim team for so many reasons, just like being in that stadium and seeing so many other of like your fellow team members trying to compete for this spot where they only take two and being surrounded by your families who have sacrificed so much to be there was pretty incredible. It was probably also the most nerve wracking environment in like two weeks I have ever been a part of. So nothing seems as tough after, after doing that. I can only imagine. Uh, only one more. Your favorite undergraduate class that wasn't a business class that you were so surprised that you became passionate about and still sticks with you to this day. Oh, um, history of rock and roll. So that was a pretty fun class. It was actually really hard. I think they kind of did the curriculum understanding that people just wanted to come in and listen to music, but they threw in a whole history element to it. And it was pretty awesome. Didn't you do Swahili? I did do Swahili for three years. That was an awesome experience. And our professor was just this most like impressive and inspiring person. George, your favorite? Honestly, like it's so cliche, but organizational behavior. You, you basically had to uh, 12 weeks to build a business. And, and I love that. And I think like seeing everyone else around you build businesses and learning from them at the same time was a really well-known class at the school I went to in Australia. So I think that one. That was one of my favorites too. I loved all the outside leaders that they brought in, like that weren't business leaders. So we did this whole section on Lyndon Johnson for an entire week of leadership style, which I thought was super just inspiring to see different types of leadership in different areas. All right, I'm gonna let you guys go. You're allowed to move into your origins now, fine job. George, how did you get into the financial industry and what led you away from it toward the world of marketing? Yeah, so funnily enough, before I was in FinTech, I was an attorney in Australia and there was there was no startup scene in Australia back then, but the, the sort of emergence of the last decade of startups been really pushing forward um, in the US. And so I decided I wanted to move to America and start a company. And I had the, the fortunate opportunity of being able to do that. I, I don't necessarily think I was drawn to fintech in particular, although it was at a very early stage, but it was more the opportunity at the time. We actually peaked student loans as the reason that we were starting that business at a time when there was, you know, Americans were 1.4 trillion in student loan debt. And there was really little understanding. You kind of just went to college, took this debt, and then you had to figure out how to pay for it. So. I liked that there was a an altruistic component to what we were doing, as well as you know building something for the first time. How did I get into marketing? I mean, my my background, although I was an attorney, was also in business and, and commerce. So to me, marketing was this opportunity that there was this huge groundswell of of movement into the online. You know, even twenty years after the internet started, but nobody had kind of brought all of that into one place. So marketing for me seemed to be the most logical way to grow a business, obviously. But there had been no kind of standardization around the industry. There was a lot of unknowns. I like taking areas and simplifying, which is what we did with student loans. And I think marketing was honestly like not dissimilar to that. Emily, you're an example of something I suspect we'll see a lot more of soon, which is a senior marketer leader with background in social media. How did that come about? Well, it started before kind of social media was a thing. I became just obsessed with the internet and building websites in general. So I had started 
a blog like way back in the day in college, which led me to my first job at an online media company, Pop Sugar. And while we were there, I kind of started to gamify things. And I realized, wow, I can get a lot more readers through this thing called Twitter. And by posting my story and getting people to retweet it, I could really go viral, essentially. That really sparked my like interest in social media and it really evolved with the time. So more channels opened up, started to learn more about the paid space, but there was always this one connectivity of protecting the brand, building the brand online that I think I took that and learned that in social media. That was like my boot camp, my branding boot camp, but then evolved it into larger marketing verticals. How did you two meet? Funnily enough, we lived a straight apart in, in New York and we had a mu- mutual friend who who worked at a dating app, but in- introduced us IRL, right? So like, it was like, you guys should meet, you live a straight apart. And so we honestly, like we just arranged to meet up. It was, it was that simple. So we didn't meet on a dating app. We met through someone who worked at a dating app, if that makes sense. Old school. And then what inspired you both to start Brief? I think the core of it, like when we first met, we were both entrepreneurs and just had that mindset. And as we started to talk about our struggles in the day-to-day and mine, especially through marketing, is brief really happened because we essentially lived in our user shoes. Like I was a digital marketer constantly getting frustrated because as marketing became more complex, I felt I was constantly outsourcing to small partners. So be it I needed someone to help with SEO, our affiliate marketing, our paid social, you name it. And I was getting extremely, extremely frustrated at the timeliness of the process. There was no central point of reference. Google would like lead you down a wrong rabbit hole. So that was really one side of it. And then on the flip side, I had also worked at an agency in New York. And coming from San Francisco, kind of got spit out into this agency world and felt it was a little bit archaic and again, couldn't keep up fast enough. That was really kind of the point of how Breathe came originally to be was just like frustration and living through it. Yeah, I think at the core of what we do, I always thought like, why can't all marketers just go to one place? Like why why do we need to go to all these different places and why is there nowhere to start? I think that was the first thing. I, at the core of what I do, I'm a connector. So my personality is to meet someone and be like, you know what, you should really meet this person. Or like, I think you'd really enjoy getting to know this person. Or you're going to be in this place at the same time as my friend who's going to be in this place. You guys should catch up. I think that had never really formally been done in the marketing world. I think that there was informal connectivity, but it was highly inefficient. It was kind of lived on email. You know, if you want to work with someone and you know, partner on something together, like you, you still need that validation, right? You don't want to search for that by yourself. So it was validating connectivity was really what drove me. And this was at a time where a lot of people were starting small agencies and doing types of things. So it naturally put itself to that. Great. I have a lot of agency and marketing questions for you guys. Uh, and it's going to be very relevant for our audience. Uh, so digging right in. With Brief, you're sitting at the junction of agencies and in-house marketers. What's something that the smartest agency folks would want in-house marketers to know? Oh my gosh, (laughs) just to be able to articulate what you're looking for is something that I think has been up until, you know, Brief, a pain point for that, that relationship. 
client goes to agency, doesn't know budget, doesn't really know the deliverables, doesn't know the timing and where to go. And so right off the bat, the relationship can't be productive, even that first intro call. And so I think that's like first and foremost, layer number one. Yeah. I think, I think with that then flows expectation setting. Agencies exist because these are people that are really good at what they do. But if the client having articulated what they want doesn't then set expectations for delivery, time and budget, all the things that we spoke about, then the relationship at some point is going to hit a speed hump and you're basically both speaking different languages. One party thought they were doing X, the other party thought they were doing Y. That's why as a product, we're so big on having everyone on the same page at the start so that the likelihood of like issues down the, down the track is far lower. And what is something that in-house marketers want agencies to know? Honestly, I don't know if they think they want them to know that, but it's one of the most humbling things about Brief is that just because an in-house marketer is looking for something doesn't mean they actually know what they're looking for. And too often we see agencies that are pitching for work on the basis that outside of Brief in particular, the client has said they want X, but they actually want Y. And I think in-house marketers should be putting their hand up and saying, I think I want this, but I'm not actually sure what I'm looking for. And it's so humbling for them to do that because we work with some of the best marketers in the world. But when TikTok comes along and wasn't here 18 months ago, articulating what a TikTok project is, is a lot harder if you'd never used TikTok before. That's such an interesting example. It just reminds me of every situation in life where you're trying to negotiate with someone who's an expert in something that you're not. Like buying a car. Is that how you think of brief as like one of the areas of value that you add is being able to align that area of expertise to marketers on what they're actually looking for? Yeah, we, we view brief as not only kind of that service where you can come and find the best agency partner, but really a, a truly holistic platform where you can come to brief, you can plan your projects, you can budget your projects. You can talk with a fellow marketing expert on our team who can further help you define what you're looking for or say, hey, you know, we're working with a few other brands in this space. This is really the budget that you should be in and to validate that. And then on the kind of like the back end of things is once you find that great connection, we're really trying to make it easy for you to continue working with them and to do good work. So contracts, seamless payments, all that good stuff. So it's a really holistic platform because there's so much more that goes into you know, working with an agency partner beyond just like finding them. Great. Let's talk about some of the different types of agencies and uh, the types of challenges and uh, opportunities they have right now. What are some of the biggest struggles that boutique agencies are currently struggling with today? Oh, and can you define what a boutique agency is before we even start? Yeah, for sure. I think for us, boutique agencies, what we typically call, you know, between like two and 30 people, they're good at two or three things in particular, but they're not full service. And the things they're really good at, they're often better than a full service agency out because they're doing more than something. That's the first part of it. The other thing about boutique agencies that's that's unique is they often don't even have the business development function that a large agency would have. So the way that they've traditionally got clients is through word of mouth or their own sort of internal lead gen, but they don't necessarily have that dedicated marketing person yet. As far as the challenges in particular, 
you know, if we're working with creatives, just because you're really good at what you do doesn't mean you know how to run a business, right? And so there's often this challenge of someone who's really passionate and excited about doing great work that doesn't necessarily understand the mechanics of doing the business servicing element, like that kind of bit like before you start working together. And the boring part. Yeah, like the boring part. So for them, it's this kind of awkward dance that's done at the beginning of a project that we find boutiques who aren't full service and don't necessarily have those business operations people running the transactional side of it. It almost gets in the way a little bit. And I think that's something that we've learned over time to really build a product around that so that Again, we say, like, we want people to just focus on doing great work and we'll handle it. I think to add to that, it's it's also finding the right clients to work with. Um, again, because these smaller teams don't necessarily have that dedicated biz dev arm, they could be having a vet through, you know, inbound that has nothing to do with what they are passionate about or specialize in. And I think the coolest thing about the boutique agency landscape is they're true specialists, not only in like the work that they're doing, but often like industries. So you'll find that there are boutique agencies who solely specialize in beauty and we look to bring them the right clients and then opportunities. So when they do, you know, put their best foot forward to pitch, it's chances of the match are, are pretty high because it's a great fit all around. What can small agencies provide that larger agencies can't? Great question. In our experience, it's speed. Often a large agency will build a team around a project, whereas the boutique agency is the whole team. I also think that there is a scrappiness that was not traditionally associated with the agency world that a boutique can actually bring that comes with speed. So, you know, if you think about the traditional marketing campaign that might have taken two or three months to ideate, then three months to shoot, post, you know, publish, distribute, all of that, you know, we've got projects on brief that last for 30 days, right? They want everything, you know, all super nuts in 30 days. The scrappiness of marketing has changed, right? Not everything needs to be totally full service agency oriented anymore. We want to ship stuff faster. A boutique can definitely do that. And I think with that comes an opportunity for a boutique to actually publish or get more shipped for that client. So you might go to one big agency for one campaign, you actually can go to boutique for like five, probably for the same price. So there's synergies there in cost and time. So with Brief, you guys have created a process. You've created a network of 5,000 agencies that you've vetted. And you were talking before about how a small company or how a company might come in and in-house marketer might not have any idea what they're actually looking for. How do you help decide which agency, like what's your secret sauce on the matching side and when to choose the larger versus the smaller versus the specialist versus the generalist in in one word it's data i think nobody has ever truly if you think about the individual agency right the individual agency knows its own profile but it doesn't know the profiles of all the other agencies that are in the market where for the very first time bringing all of those agencies and trying to standardize the data points about those agencies in one place so that can mean anything from skill set to location to industries they work into minimum budgets to maximum budgets to speed to be able to start. We're collecting all these data points. And then when you are articulating in one central place, the outcome or the, the scope of project that the client's looking for, you can take that document and 
essentially have all these data points that will essentially kick out any agencies that aren't relevant, right? Like you're not gonna, you're doing a $20,000 content campaign and you have a boutique agency that says, look, we only did $50,000 and up. Well, they're not gonna get that opportunity on brace, right? So you are, you are removing the uncertainty of the agency search experience from day one. And what that means is that for the, on the client side, they're only getting agencies that can actually do work. And on the agency side, they're only getting opportunities that are best suited to them. And that's something that's never been done centrally before. So I think that's, that's really the secret source to matching is like, it's just as important the ones you don't talk to as the ones that you do. What are some trends you guys are seeing as far as what in-house marketers are doing with their own marketing versus what they're outsourcing to agencies? Do you see movement in the market? Yeah, a ton. I always say, you know, there's only so much an in-house marketing team can do because the landscape is moving so fast. So where we find marketers come to brief to outsource is often for those like innovative fill in the gap types of projects. So, you know, they hear about TikTok and before they dedicate full-time resource in-house, they're like, let's just try this with a boutique agency. We've seen a lot of like NFT projects emerge in the space because again, I don't know if people are fully comfortable hiring an expert full-time in-house, but trying and testing and experimenting with these agency partners allows for this like whole breath in their marketing mix that they didn't have access to before. When in-house marketers are working with agencies, what part of that business is the novelty business that you're talking about? What's new and hip and nobody has the resources for versus what is part of their core marketing function that now agencies are taking over for them? Great question. I think it's it's all novelty now. Honestly, like I think that what you're doing in digital spend this year will change so dramatically next year because, you know, for example, iOS releases a new update, for example, right? And I think that the the notion of here's our bread and butter campaign that we do every year is is dissipating so quickly. And I looked at it the other day and I was like, to use your example of the car, I looked at like the car companies that released their Christmas TV commercials because they've been doing it for 20 years. And I look at that, I go, that's so naff, right? Like that's not how people buy cars anymore. That's not the campaign that's gonna drive the most sales. And I think that ultimately in terms of what's being done in-house, there's things that are happening in-house are the things that are probably more non-campaign related, right? They are your shooting of content because that's your product or they're your management of any number of functions that are just like the day-to-day of running a business. Anything that's super campaign driven is externalized is what we see with brands on board. And the reason for that is running a business now is so distinct from marketing and being with the trends that you will get stuck internally. You guys have a pretty interesting courtside seat of what the best marketers are looking for and what the best agencies are providing. Do you have any other top trends that you're seeing both in what marketers are now doing outside of the TikToks and the NFTs and projects that you've stopped getting, like things that have just kind of dropped off the map? The umbrella trend that we're seeing are organizations are completely a rethinking their org charts and rethinking kind of how they spend with agency partners. So org charts, meaning you know, you'll have a startup come to us and instead of having to hire a whole marketing team, they're like, we just want to work with the best of the best agency partners and like, we're going to be set. Then you have more of the larger enterprise brands who 
are realizing, wow, like that big agency is really not innovating as fast as we need them to be. Let's rethink where we can find these smaller teams to plug in the gaps. So it's a pretty exciting like space to watch and kind of go to work every day and just see this shift happening and helping to guide that. Projects that we like haven't seen in a long time. Um, I think that we don't necessarily see less of any project. I think it's more about the life cycle of the business, right? So the way we see it is if you're developing an Acom brand, right? You need someone to design and develop your brand. Then you need someone to design and develop your website. Then you need content. Then you need digital marketing, right? And there's this life cycle. And I think as you grow as a business, you're probably doing less of some things through a brief and more of others depending on where you are at a particular point in time. For example, larger companies are more likely to bring digital marketing in-house if they're spending like $100,000 a month. Going to an external agency for that versus building your own team, there's synergies in building your own team. But you may actually then be spending more on external content for that digital marketing through an agency. So I think it's more life cycle related. The next question is pure personal interest. Do you guys produce some sort of a report every year on an ongoing basis of top trends of both your agencies and your in-house marketers that you share that we can all have access to? We do guides. So like we do have a 2022 kind of like marketing planning and trends guides that have, you know, the projects like audio or SMS marketing, kind of like you name it. And one thing that we actually just released last month was a series called Brief Insights. So really pulling our community of brands and agency partners and asking them like, hey, what do you think about building your team in 2022? Or how are you feeling about remote? And then packaging that and sharing it back with them so they can all learn from each other. I think it's something that like definitely is a goal for 2022 to do more of, but it's been pretty fascinating to just kind of gather all this data from people who are excited to give it, which has been cool. It's really cool. It's one of our favorite benefits of our market. We get to see what a thousand top content marketing agencies are doing every month and share that out too. So I'm dying to hear from yours too. So it's very clear why uh, uh, so far in our conversation and the value that you guys are offering to in-house marketers that are trying to find a work through a very fragmented market to figure out who the best agency is for their type of work, campaign, project, et cetera. What is the value that you're bringing to the agency side of your marketplace? Great question. I think at at top line, like we wanted to kill the RFP process. Like we wanted to kill people spending two weeks on a pitch that they never even hear back about, right? Like the cost of business development at an agency, particularly if you're a small agency, is so high if you're trying to to win these projects. And I I lived through that. Like I remember staying up to like 2 a.m. to try to pitch a client and then not even winning the account. And there has to be a different way. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're so passionate about how we're trying to evolve that because it's such a big thing. And I was actually speaking with with someone at an agency and they said, we hired someone full-time to manage our RFP process. And my mouth was like, oh my gosh, just use brief. I think that, I think also standardizing um, the process of submitting a pitch through a brief. So, you know, we're really proud that you can do that in under 30 minutes. You can save information from other pitches. You can do things like that. But that 
the opportunities that we're bringing you are opportunities that you're unlikely to say no to, right? Or that you're unlikely to like go through and be like, oh, this isn't right for me. So we really take pride in like actually bringing something that is very clearly articulated that has had an expert look over. Because remember, we've said previously, we have concerns that what the client thinks they're looking for is not actually what they're looking for. And so we're trying to standardize that process and then ultimately like deliver a competitive process that is limited. And what, what we mean by that is we're not an open marketplace. We are a closed marketplace. We are not going to be spanned with, you know, 50 different agencies. The, the, the typical project through brief gets five pitches. So you've got a one in five chance on actually closing that deal which is far better than in the outside world you don't actually know like how many agencies you're competing with and we had a, a, a company the other day tell us that they recently ran an rsp process for a pr agent contract for 12 months that they went out to 25 teams Ugh, brutal can you tell us about your process for vetting 5,000 agencies and curating them yes so I think it, again, goes back to first and foremost data, and we developed a three-stage vetting process. So when an agency comes through brief, they submit a whole application that really kind of allows them to put their agency forward and outline kind of their specialties, their clients, like you name it, projects that they would, you know, want to win through our platform. That application is then reviewed by one of our agency leads just to make sure, you know, this is quality, they represent what they're saying. They're putting their best foot forward. And then lastly, when an agency is invited to submit a pitch or a project, they are shadowed to by an agency lead just to make sure like, hey, you feel comfortable on the platform. You're putting your best foot forward. And they ultimately feel comfortable with what we're offering them. How many of the marketers that come to you to source an agency are using you as a first time versus repeat buyers that are looking for different projects? Great, great question. The way we think about that is like this. When someone is typically coming to us for the first time, more often than not, they've, they're also using their own external process to find an agency. And so you typically find that this is a great way for them to become familiar with the brief process, even if they're getting outside options. What's really cool about that is the experience they have that even if on that first project, they don't pick an agency through brief, their second, third, and fourth project, they're only using brief, right? And so it's kind of this dynamic of like, every day we've got brands using us for the first time, right? Like, you know, dozens of, of companies are coming through and saying, how do I get started, filling it up, whatever. It's really cool to then see the flow on effect of the second, third, fourth project. The other thing I'd say that's unique is, you know, a marketing team doesn't necessarily just have one project at one time. So you'll get these brands that come in and they do two or three projects as their first, right? Like they're, they're doing three with three different teams on day one. So it's a cool dynamic to see that like the power users that are just using you for everything and those that are feeling you out that we know three months from now are going to do a second project. So another question about your guys' courtside seat to some of the best marketers out there. What are some of the coolest campaigns that you saw this year? Oh man, one of my favorite campaigns that like first comes to mind is um, social first content for a drink brand called Recess. Really cool, really innovative. Have like they have the funkiest website and social. 
and they came to us for an agency partner to solely dedicate on their TikTok content and to see that come to life and to see them be referenced time in and time out by other brands who are coming to brief and saying, hey, I just want to, you know, do something in the similar space as Recess. And we're like, they're actually, you know, a brand on brief and they found an agency through us is is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I really love the what Recess have done. I also like seeing brands emerge for the first time and accelerate. So like Julianne Huff, who's, you know, super well known through dance and Dancing with the Stars and, and, and her, her various, you know, streams of work created a really cool platform called Kinergy, which was effectively like what I love to call the soul cycle of dance. And her ability to pivot from an in-person offering to a digital offering through COVID and then actually build out marketing channels and build a really huge following when people have been at home for the best part of two years. Um, I love that. Like I love seeing that she could have gone to a really big agency who could have handled everything and during the time of COVID and remote work, it was actually like more efficient and more cost-effective to do those things through brief. And that was a sort of really power user for us that we're you know, able to almost establish that agency of agencies relationship and help guide them through a time that was super uncertain for everyone, particularly someone launching a business for the first time. Anything else about brief and the, guys, the work that you guys provide there for the marketers out there that we haven't already touched on? I think ultimately like where we're finding a lot of opportunity come through is that traditionally marketers weren't prepared to, to show us almost a sense of marketers are good at selling, right? So they weren't traditionally good at, at showing a sense of uncertainty or underconfidence about what they were looking for. I think we get now like our team gets emails and calls and, you know, messages on platform being like, I think we should be doing this, but like, what should I be doing next? Or like, is this budget too high or too low? Or like actually using us as the experts that know we have so many data points that they're actually coming to rely on us for that. And I think the people that get the most out of brief are the ones that actually put their hands up and say, look, I actually don't know everything. Like, I, like I'm really good at this one thing, but we need to do these other three things that I have no idea about. And that sense of humility, but also like trust that is coming through us is what I would tell every marketer to think about, like use us and, and use us as an extension of your team. Brief, overcoming marketing insecurities. Right. <laughs> on that on that note, we use our own platform to grow too, right? Like we, we, we use agencies as well and we use our own process to help define that. So we're insecure today. <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, guys, I have a whole other section that I'm not even getting to today because we covered so much ground in marketing, but I want to make sure there were no other questions that you wanted to make sure to talk about today before we close out. I think what, what I would want every marketer to know is that the core of the product that we're building and that we've built is one that seeks to reduce uncertainty and speed up time. And the one constant of every brief user on the client side is when you ask them, how did you do this before? And they articulate a rabble of emails, asking friends, talking to people at other companies and something that doesn't necessarily define process. And I think for such a long time, HR has had processes, hiring has had processes, finance has had processes, but finding an agency has never had that. And something we're really passionate about is providing a consistent experience and a product that people go, oh my God, how did I do this before? Like, 
what's going on here. And I think for us, like we'd actually don't really care if a brand uses an agency that they found on brief, but we want them to have a good experience regardless. And and I think that's ultimately where we're in, in a driver's seat is that we don't favor people. The client actually can make that decision for themselves. So we're kind of like this, like we're a partner that they're not paying. And that for us creates a hell of a lot of trust in a market that's traditionally been kind of uncertain and a little bit murky. And that also marketers don't have to do it all. Like I, being a marketer myself and George, it's there's a lot of pressure to like keep top of mind and continue to innovate and have all the answers for the next it platform, whatever it may be. And to not only like use this as a resource to how to plan that, how to budget that, but also how to find the, the right team that's going to like lead you in the right direction, I think is pretty empowering and what, what we're passionate about because it is an overwhelming space. <laughs> like it's constantly changing and you have to keep top of mind and that that's your job. Like let us take some of the weight off of it for you. Well, I love what you guys have built. It's amazing how many of the biggest business innovations are always things that after you hear about them, you're like, of course it should have been that way. And uh, I felt that way about hearing about Brief for the first time, and I can't wait to see what else you guys build and what else you learn along the way. Can you tell our audience how they can follow you and how they can find Brief? Yeah, totally. So um, we're both Instagrammers. We're of that generation. I'm not on TikTok yet. My dance skills aren't up to it. But on Instagram, it's just my last name, at Raptus. And then I'm at Emily E. Bibb. But first and foremost, just, you know, hit up brief.com and we will take care of it from there. Great. Emily and George, thanks so much for being on Yes and Marketing. Steve, thanks for having thanks us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Yes and Marketing. If you enjoy the show or learn something new today, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. Thanks. Thanks.